This is The View from Tab. I'm Jim Menick. John Cruz. I'm Mike Beats. And this is the end of the decade. And we're going to cover the last 10 years in excruciating detail. Everything that happened in Lincoln Douglas policy, public forum, Ted Turner, controversy, declamation, etc. Crossfire. Et uh, I, I think we forgot forgot to say this is the view from tab Jeff. i did say this i said that i know oh. i said that i'm sure i said that I did, also i think this is our 10th episode it is our episode 10, 10 yes and we're going to make sure that this one sounds good the first time we put it up uh, yes. we are, are we going to take are we going to take a look back at our previous nine episodes <laughs> <laughs> episode 10 a eh? look we back have, i think we have some 29. deleted scenes too no, okay <laughs> <laughs> those have been deleted we did have we did have that episode where we had to restart the beginning of it. Maybe we have the the junk part. Okay, anyway, sorry. The, the stuff that we couldn't let you hear in before you want to don't want to hear it. Um, anyhow, we are going to do a little wrap up of the decade, and we talked about doing this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was a little uh, apprehensive of the whole idea that there would be anything to say that actually would be interesting to cover the last. 10 years, but even in our little preliminary talk, I think I may have been wrong. I think there was a lot of interest. Jim was just stuff. being a curmudgeon, let's be honest. Not I. Not Nothing I. interesting has happened for the last 30 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> since, since Lincoln Douglas was invented, it's pretty much stayed the way it was. But when you look at it, I mean, the last 10 years, and I can look at this very carefully, it has changed dramatically. And I guess it's any 10 years of any activity like this is, should probably show some change and we've certainly seen some change in the activity so where do we want to start with this well let's talk about uh, probably talk about changes first huh let's we, okay um jim you probably have the uh what should i say the uh, longest view the longest that view, might, the, but that might not i can't be remember true. anymore because you started coaching debate when in the 95 90s. so that's right 90. when i was starting yeah, coaching too. Yeah, I, so, I started doing debate in 90 190 maybe. Yeah. So. Okay, actually, so you have the longest view of any of us then. I mean, Jim I debated yeah. in high school. Don't get, don't Okay, get I debated in high school for one half a year. <laughs> I was undefeated uh, up until this one round, and I went to an all boys school, and we got beaten by girls, and I could never debate again. <laughs> It was just too shameful. I mean, the, I, we went to a Catholic school. The priest yelled at us for getting beaten by girls. Archbishop Stepanak High Stepanak School. High school. Okay. Didn't mind us losing. Yeah. Losing to girls. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So the changes of the decade. It's well, changed think, this decade. I think fundamentally um, the, the way that we do – the way that de- – debate has changed i think has been number one has been because of how research has changed uh i think has changed a lot about debate instead of having to go to the library or you can do everything from home i mean it and i when i remember going to the library and the struggle was finding stuff having stuff be made available and just knowing how to find stuff i think now the challenge is having too much stuff um, and trying to weed out the good from the bad and, and, in, a, in a quick manner. So I think, like from a even from a coaching perspective and from a what does what is the activity perspective, 
I think it used to be a research-heavy activity from the standpoint of, you know, uh, trying to find what you need and trying to find things. I think now debaters might take an, take an opposite approach, which is, uh, you know, let's get as much as we can, and in it we can try to find some unique stuff. Um, whereas before, I think you were just much more looking for trying to find the core of the topic by going to the core books. I think now the rapid... The rapid from getting from the core of the resolution or the core of the debate to peripheral debates and the amount of stuff that you're debating uh, is much quicker because research has just become so much easier. Um, well, there's there's two things. That, I mean, first of all, and, and and both of these things I think are bad as a result of that. First of all, um, when people needed to go to the library, I remember on our team they used to put together trips to the library. Go, they would go down to Manhattan. They would go to one of the universities and research. I mean, over the Christmas holiday, for instance, they'd go two or three times as a group. And really, it was a, it was a great team effort to get the material. And now it's an individual effort. And, I mean, some people may not be as good at research as other people, and they're going to suffer. Whereas if the whole team does it, there's a nice complementary aspect. Well, you mean, I just want to clarify what you mean. So you mean individual and in that eat, not necessarily that they're not contributing in the end to each other, just that they're yeah, doing it. Yeah, but they're doing it all by themselves. Yeah. So, you know, they, I mean, some of these people are 14 years old. I mean, sure, sure. If you find a point on it. And the other thing is, and Mike said this, I mean, instead of people going for the core of the material, uh, nowadays I think they're going the, to the periphery of the material and sometimes forgetting the core of the material. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to start researching a topic, and I always do this in our brainstorming sessions, I want to tell people what the topic is about, what economic sanctions, what are economic sanctions about? And I'm not going to go into, you know, diamonds or something like that the first day out that we're talking about this. You're going to talk about very, you know, core concepts of what it means to have economic sanctions, where economic sanctions rank in the in foreign policy and stuff like that whereas if you go out and do research you're going to look up sanctions and you're going to find some sanctions and the next thing you know you're arguing what's going on in Iran or what's going on in uh, Korea or whatever and you're not talking about the concept of sanctions anymore on that level you're just talking about I mean, you're doing a policy debate well, I, because I, you can do that research well and because um it's harder. I mean, you're not going to find if you go to Google, the the philosophy texts aren't going right. to come up. It's going to be, or you know, or or even political science type stuff. It's going to be <laughs> the news reports. Right. And, I, I think that's very good. And so, I'm sorry, go and so that it just makes it easier. Your your first two hundred results aren't going to be about the philosophy of sanctions. They're going to be about specific sanctions. And so um, I think it's a really interesting point. Yeah, that, that 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 nature of the way search engines work and the fact that people I mean, when I was in high school, I started debating in 1997. So I, I was very computer savvy at a very young age. So I was already doing a lot of Internet searches. But that was really the exception on my team. And not were you the, in gopher the rooms? Did you go to the gopher web? <laughs> I did go to gopher rooms. I used a lot of BBSs. I, uh, I like that's enough. Stuff. That's enough. <laughs> oh, please. OK, anyway. Uh, so. Uh, I, I think that's a, a really accurate observation. One thing that I think has changed also, it's less about research, but something I've been thinking about the last couple of months, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people say that uh, issues of like form in Lincoln-Douglas debate have changed in the sense that uh, maybe there's less emphasis on the, on the format of your case, the way certain things need to be structured. On the other hand, though, I think that, there's, that, that, that 
that the format issues have come up in other ways in debate, right? Like now there's a lot more emphasis on the way specific arguments are structured as opposed to the way your case is structured, like your case that needs to have X number of contentions, et cetera, maybe isn't as common anymore. But now there's a lot more emphasis and a lot more scrutiny placed on how you develop the individual arguments in the case, right? I mean, you, you know what I mean by that? Uh, like we've talked about how theory style arguments have really always been around in one form or another, but they certainly didn't take on the structure that they now take. Uh, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, I think that's true. There's no question. I mean, we used to have three contentions on an affirmative, two contentions right. on a negative. Then you would see this thing. This is still back in the '90s, where the negative started being the one and a half minute. Um, I, I will throw up some offense, but I am going to out defend and then win on the scrap of offense. I mean, that was very much a strategy that that came along. I. Variations of that, I think, still exist, but that did not exist until, say, the late '90s as as a way to go. I found it very annoying, frankly, but I mean, it was certainly not uncommon that right. that happened. There's yeah. also uh, there, there, there there's a lot of like I said. I mean, there all the theory stuff um, that is uh, around now. All of this stuff has always been inarticulated. Um, I mean, we haven't had names for it, but nonetheless, uh, it's been there. All I want to been there. I want to jump in and say something actually that that I, I'm going to actually I'm going to name names and whatnot. So I'm not just talking generalities. One thing I think is funny that happened over the course of this decade was that I can remember very specifically that in the middle part of the decade, when uh, when in particular Schreiber High School, Adwhite Parker, P.D. Gill, uh, that sort of clan of debaters, when when there was a I, I sort of an outcry that debate was going to become too much about critical theory and whatnot. What I think is interesting about that is that that development really didn't occur. I mean, I mean, no. yes, people run critical cases, but that's not where debate went. Instead, what's interesting is that a lot of the people who were very upset about critical theory, and I, I, you know, just as an aside, I think that's very silly to be very upset because it is philosophical, right? But a lot of the people who were afraid about that seem to miss the theory, like you know, debate theory, not critical theory. That's when that also started coming in, but nobody was really directing their anger towards that in the beginning, which I think is sort of interesting. And I feel like that the bigger development of the decade then was not critical theory, not the critique and stuff like that, but but actually the theory arguments and debate, right? Yeah, it seemed like, you know, for a while you'd go to a tournament and someone would have some new author. And everyone right. would have to go out and mm-hmm. find out about who this author is. And and that author had something not really to say about the topic, but maybe something extremely peripheral to the topic at uh-huh. least. Um, and so you'd have to go out. And so the idea of having to, you know, that's where I think, you know, having the debate coach who was in college and reading critical texts uh, and then saying, hey, we should use this in a debate round. Um, you know, that's where it always felt like you were behind because this... you, you never knew what someone was going to bring up. And um, I, I'm glad that that has seemed to have. This is one of the low of points, I... absolutely one of the low points of Lincoln Douglas. Um, and the whole thing is, if you look at the, I mean, it's, it's bigger than CT. It's, it's postmodernism and everything that stems out of postmodernism. And this was very popular in academic circles up until about the mid-90s, which makes it, and then it started dying out because it's pretty stupid stuff for the most part. And for some reason, the 
people that were informing cases that were going to college were still studying a lot of these people and applying them as if they were offering ethical structures that were applicable to the situations we were talking about. Mike, you're exactly right. So every week there would be some new person. So everybody felt like you had to keep up with these. And I blame college not coaches, just judges and who are really writing cases for kids because you could hire some of these people as mm. a you know, you know, hired gun. Uh, I, need to, I need a private coach because my coach is too old-fashioned and he hasn't read enough Derrida. So, you know, you'll do this. And, yeah, this stuff has mostly been discredited as ethical philosophical texts. These are perfectly interesting uh, as social commentary, as a lot of things, but they're not really useful as you know, Lincoln-Douglas material, and it was just fashion. And I think what happened when this stuff was really at its height, and people are going back, I mean, you know, forget the, you know, just running the postmoderns. I mean, you can go back to the first postmodern, go back to Nietzsche and stuff like that. People are running this material, um, and this caused a great backlash, and this backlash was in the 90s, where a lot of people really got up in arms because this was just such cockamamie stuff that that, that didn't go anywhere, and it just was sort of making a lot of noise in Lincoln Douglas. Well, There's a lot of reaction to that. I just want to say, though, that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differ on a fine point here. There are two things I want to differ on. First off, I, I mean, I think that painting all critical theory, all postmodernism... No, no, actually, let me clarify. I will maintain that, that critical theory per se survives because okay. critical theory per se for Lincoln Douglas because critical theory per se remains applicable and yes. is a viable way of looking at things. But that was just one subset. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, I think, I think comes out. Th- there are two things I just want to say about this. I mean, first off, what I think is interesting is that I think that on certain topics, there uh, certain topics invite critical arguments and a certain t- And then there are also authors who I think are just applicable on a lot of topics. I think that Foucault is a lot different than Derrida in terms of how it plays out in a, in a debate round. Foucault I think that, will be Kim. And Derry yeah, will be as unreadable tomorrow as he was yesterday. Yeah, I, 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 I strong, I strongly believe that. I mean, I think Foucault. You know, my perspective is that Foucault is probably the greatest mind or one of the greatest minds of the last century and whatnot. Uh, but all that having been said, uh, what I think is what the the larger point I was just trying to make is that what I think is interesting is that there was a big backlash against this. A lot of people were very angry about this. But I wonder if those people. If I could take it, you know, if, if I were to somehow able to take a poll of very quote unquote traditional coaches who objected to people who who at least in some way are, are philosophical authors, right? If they if they in retrospect had a larger have a larger objection to that than they do to debate theory, which is you know uh, something that a, a lot of the same kinds of coaches also object to. And my point was just that it's interesting because I I felt I feel like the the big trend towards theory arguments and debate started really coming out in Lincoln-Douglas debate at the last stages of this uh, of, of the big boom in critical arguments. It was a way of combating this right, stuff. Right, but, that, but that's what's, to me what's funny is that it's like the, 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 the anger from a lot of these people was against the critical arguments, but in the end those are still philosophical arguments, right? It's just interesting that, that at the midpoint of the decade, if you had to ask anybody what was debate going to look like at the end of the decade, so many people would have said it's going to be this big critical theory battle, et cetera, et cetera. That's just not the case. I mean that's not – They were saying it was going to be gone. Let's remember there was the – and this is for anyone who's debating now. They won't know about this. The Lincoln-Douglas Educational Project, LDEP, which was a bunch of people that got together and 
proselytized against whatever was going on, and it was mostly against the use of postmodernism, very specifically referred to as postmodern and not as the critical theory. And, and a few other things as well. They were just ruining debate uh, completely. And LD was just going to die as a result of this. And they were going around, and they had some, some good points. That I mean, Obviously, I was not a big fan of the use of postmodern um, philosophers. And, you know, cause I, I, I didn't think this, I, part of it for me was even the good material tended to be above the heads of people who weren't already versed in philosophy, well, that's, weren't that, versed that in basic ethics. That was the point that I was going to make. I think that, you know, it, 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 it was a time when it seemed like a lot of judges were willing to vote for things that had, they had no idea what was being said. And they were just going to vote on an argument, either one, because they were afraid to admit they didn't know what it was said. And it was also a time when, where you literally had judges who were counting check marks, X's and O's, and it didn't matter what you said. Um, And I'm glad to see that, you know, that that, that the the judging, as as much as, you know, I, I still somewhat complain about the judges, it has become better than it was at that time, um, where it seemed like a lot of judges were just willing to sure. to vote for things they had no idea about. And so- I, I like that it has become more socially acceptable to say, I do not understand this argument. This argument was not articulated in a way that you know makes us blah, blah, blah. And, and, that, and the judges who judge frequently do say things like that. I think that's good. Yeah. Right? That's also very good, actually. And I think that that has put sort of some... Uh, a a uh, you know a, some breaks on 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 that too, and and some of that's also just the classes that stick around, right? There are some there are some classes of coaches or some graduating classes that they just didn't stick around anymore. I feel like you know last year's class we have a bunch of those people still involved, but if you look at classes from like two or three years ago, those folks aren't around as much anymore. I yeah, think right. that the last class that you had a whole bunch of people stick around maybe it was two thousand five. I think you had a bunch of kids stick around from that class. Um, I think that might have been like what, like Jacob Levy and uh, oh six, but yes, oh five, oh six, yeah. But I feel like the oh seven, oh eight class, you don't have a whole lot. We I mean, have yeah. a few, and I don't want to, you know, say that those people don't sure. matter at all. But no, but oh six is oh uh, six is big. That's uh, Petey Gill, Doug Jeffers, Jacob Levy. Yeah, there are a bunch of people who who are. Yeah, but no matter how you slice it, people disappear. Yeah, you know, sure, go to college, and some sure. do come back, which but some, is great. But some classes disappear a lot quicker than other classes. Yeah. But you're going to have some kind – well, you may not have – you're going to have some kind of evolution. But I think you had almost revolution here. I mean you could conceivably say that the LDEP, or as Beach liked to call it, the Legion of Doom, um, might have had an effect. At least it did get people thinking about this stuff and um, – yeah, and articulating what it was they didn't like. I think they went too far. Uh, there's no question. I mean, people were, I mean, if anybody had any taint of trying to do something new and different, all of a sudden you were hurting Lincoln Douglas and you were killing the activity and you were being anti-educational and all this sort of stuff. And uh, that kind of thing has gone away, I mean, which is good because, I mean, I think what happens is it just – uh, fits and starts in the activity changing over time. I mean, we talked before about evidence. When I first started doing this, Mike, when you started doing this, there's very little evidence beyond a quote from Mill or something like that. Yeah. And evidence became popular partially because the topics started lending themselves 
to the use of evidence. I mean, we were, we were arguing, um, you know, ecology or whatever, or sanctions or these kinds of things where, um, you know, you had to have at least some examples and people start, I mean, the idea of going and doing that library research, I think was a little new to Lincoln Douglas people, but of course it was not new at all to the policy people. And a lot of times what happens in policy just sort of, and I think in the other direction too. What going on in one activity influences what's happening in another activity. What's happening now, I mean, theory is new, new, new to all the Lincoln Douglas people and it's like old hat to the policy sure. people who in well, fact get it a lot more right, I think, than some of the I, other people. I, I, think, I think one other thing that electronic stuff and research has changed in terms of uh, LD's relationship to policy debate is that because uh, everything is so much more electronic now than it was even 10 years ago, it's much easier to get a hold of like PDF files of massive back files to things that perhaps that wasn't as easy to do 10 years ago. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, I can't speak from experience, direct experience here because when I debated in high school, I debated for a pretty small, very, very local team with no policy debate team, but, but it's occurred to me many times at Bronx Science that has, you know, both a large LD squad and a large policy squad, is that it's much easier for, uh, for, for the LDers to get access to that kind of stuff because it's all electronic, right? I mean, you really, you don't, I mean, you, even teams, that, the policy teams and the majority still carry around big tubs. Most of them have a lot of electronic backup files. So, so even at camp, when I hear kids say, oh, I just got access to these policy back files, they're talking about getting an electronic copy of something. Right, and that I think makes it easier to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I don't, and we certainly can't discredit, you know, camps and their. Of course, I mean the rise of camps in the in the late '90s. uh, If we go back, you know, to '99, and and I mean there, there's, I think there's been camps for a long time, but I think there were camps always. Iowa, Iowa changed everything, though. I think Iowa, because I, I mean, to me, Dukes and Bailey really, they were the first to bring, you know, flow style debate. And where you know with clash uh, to to I guess to the national circuit, um, and they you know really put a lot of emphasis on that uh, on flowing and and having you know uh, real examples and, and using evidence and and those sorts of things uh, quite a bit. And I think that from that you know some. I think that opened the door to a lot of things being more acceptable in Lincoln-Douglas debate because now you were telling judges you should base it on the flow and not how you feel about something. And and uh, you know and, and, and even on the circuit, they spoke at a more rapid pace and, and uh, it, it borrowed a lot more from policy debate than maybe what LD was like prior to, to that. Um, and I think that you know now I think I think we, that with more camps you you start getting you start creating a I don't want to I, I'm going to use the word elite but that's really not what I mean but just a bunch of people who have more skills and they are right. more polished skills that's right um, as a result of having gone to these camps and the camps you know they, it changes which camps are the biggest camp at any particular yeah. time but well, I, they're mostly I, teaching about the same thing at various levels of yeah. success it, it, it also it also involves the local circuits I, more, I think. I mean, I, I, you know, again, I, I, I say this, I guess, from a slightly more limited perspective in terms of years involved, but, uh, but it seems to me that there are more national-level camps that include as well local kids, right, uh, instead of like a lot of small regional camps. I mean, there are obviously regional camps. There are smaller camps. But it seems to me like, the, like what is discussed at camps has affected local circuits more. It, it's remarkable to me, for example, to, uh, to see debaters from the local circuit 
that I debated on in high school and uh, and see the way they're debating because it seems to be clearly more influenced by stuff that's happening in the national how, how many kids go to Victory Preach, different kids? Well, or? I'll say two things. One, we get about 400 kids a summer. Oh, okay. And we – but also this year we've added a six-week option and we already have kids signed up for it. Right. Um, I think we have, you know – it beats being with their parents. Right. It beats working. Yeah. And uh, you <laughs> for know, a moment, I thought you were saying beats like B I E T Z. I was confused by what you were just saying. <laughs> it outweighs parents. Okay? There you go. Uh, so, you know, kids want it, and you know, uh, for better or worse, the 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 wanting to become, you know, more specialized, more attuned. You know, for kids that have that economic advantage too, being able to go to camp means that that's less work you might have to do during the year, right? Like, if you can get a lot of drills in, if you can learn mm-hmm. a lot about a topic. I mean, for for my kids, you know, who are bringing home literally eight hours of homework a night, camp is invaluable because they get to learn a lot of stuff that they don't, that they wouldn't have time to learn uh, during the school year. Um, yeah, but I think that the kids who are doing that are also still doing a lot of debate stuff. I mean, that's what they do when they're not doing their homework or instead of their homework. I mean, that's what they're doing. Yeah. We don't all go to Harvard-Westlake, you know, so, you know, in some schools, it's a, you, you choose, I'm going to do debate or I'm going to do my homework. And they manage to do their homework at some point, too. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it, yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a different discussion about how much homework kids <laughs> have, but. That's uh, yeah, uh, true. Yeah. It, it's, right. it's been, uh, uh, the, the, the last, I, if you took, who were some of the people that would have graduated in the, in the uh, late in the late nineties, in the early two thousands, that would have been Noah Grablitz, yeah, Wed Rogowski, my people, yeah. yeah, Stephen Babb, and you know, Josh, Tommy Clancy, Tommy Clancy, you know, those guys. I mean, we talk about how much debate has changed, but I think you put those guys in a debate round right now. But then again, they've been involved pretty. Yeah, but actually, I, I think that if we're going to name old names, I, jo- actually, John Wedrogowski, I think, is a really good example because I know that last year Wedrow judged uh, one of my debaters, Sabor Shirazi, right? And, and, and this was at the bump tournament, and Sabor debated in a very, you know, quote unquote, national circuit style in this round, right? And Wedrow enjoyed it a lot, from what I could tell. These I guys mean, wanted to be policy debaters when they uh, were. Yeah, I mean, he was. I, I, he really enjoyed it. I mean, there was, I think he gave Sabor a 30 in the round, went on and on and on about it, judged McKenna in the out rounds, went on and on and on about it. So it's interesting. Well, yeah, I, think the I, remember one, <laughs> I remember one bump <laughs> tournament, the final round, where it was all Hen Hud people, and they all uh, said to the debaters, you know, it's been very slow. Could you please go as fast as you possibly can? They all, everybody took off their sh- jackets and their shirts and whatever, and they all went at it. It was the most horrible thing I've ever seen, but they loved it. Everybody loved it. You know, so I did have a breed of people that liked it. Speed has always been around. Speed is not new. Uh, knowing when to use it is not new. You know, so sometimes you can use it, sometimes you can't. I think John yeah. is right, though, that the fundamental difference probably isn't at the top. The top debaters are still... Yeah. Quick, sophisticated, yeah. uh, complex, in-depth, uh, maybe using alternative formats. The biggest yeah. change is how that has become Logo. every 3-3, every 2-4 three, yeah. three, debater can do that too. Yeah. Every 3-3, exactly. three, 2-4 three, debater can read quickly, can answer arguments. Uh, that has trickled down. And so at the very top, I don't think that there's there are fundamental changes, right? Uh 
those yeah. guys were doing a lot of this stuff. It's, it's yeah. I mean, I mean, in fact, if you you know, pe- people talk about how how uh, how debate was so different in, in the very beginning, but I've seen really old videos like into the eighties where top level debaters, you know, had had. I get, I, literally index cards, right? Stuff like that. They were speaking. I was surprised how briskly they were speaking and whatnot. A lot of them were former policy debaters. Yeah, but they still right used rhetorical questions. That that's true. There were <laughs> <laughs> there were still rhetorical <laughs> questions. Uh, but but it's but it's just interesting because a lot of those early debaters were actually policy debaters, right? I mean, they were former that's policy right. debaters something else so it's interesting to see those kinds of things in 80s debate as well but i think beats is, yeah to, to go on what i was saying before i i think the real change is uh the the two four debates the three three debates and forget the two four debates the three three debates debate debaters who are not even debating at tournaments with uh that many rounds right debaters who are debating on purely local league tournaments who are doing many of the same things i find that to be very interesting well i think the fashion is going to travel across it's not just going to be isolated because there's enough contact i mean that's right. another thing i was thinking was i forget what brought this to mind but we're talking about um you know one of the changes now nowadays i read um blogs from policy people there's a few right. um like the 3nr blog and a couple of other things and i read these things and a few people write these things and they're writing very you know deep into policy land and I read this and I, you know, follow this and, you know, this stuff is available to me very easily right. and was never available to me before. People are listening to this podcast, right? I mean, stuff like that. Well, no, no one's listening to this podcast. Ouch. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah, I think that the, the, the community, the internet community has definitely changed a bit. Uh, I remember when I first started debating, there was one said Toga LD. And I remember posting. Uh, uh, I never understood really why that was called Toga LD. Because the I guess philosophers the, the wore, togas. wore togas. Yes. <laughs> John Stuart Mill never wore a toga. Well, I know this. John Stuart Mill was pretty new school to some of the people posting on Toga. That's true. That was the, so uh, look, I, I mean, I remember posting things on Toga. Kids LD. For your John Stuart Mill. Get off right, my lawn. <laughs> well, I remember posting Him on that website. Pants. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> well, um, well, I remember posting on Telga LD. I guess that's all I have to say. But I do remember posting on it. I remember it being not very user friendly. I remember it being like a, like a, I, I don't even know how, what format that was in anymore. I'll, it was a comment. You know. I'll give you one absolute, just straightforward thing. Ten years ago, I never expected my students to have a computer. Now I never expect them not to have a computer. Uh, that's a very good point. It has yeah. come completely that you have a computer. I don't even want to hear why. You, oh, I don't have a computer. Yeah, you do. You know, I'm sorry. You do. You're just somewhere there's a computer you have access to That's most of have their own um the the other thing that that has done is it's made coaching much different yes uh, not from like a research perspective but running a team your way has become a lot more difficult because the question of who owns the activity <clears throat> is one that comes up every so often and it's becoming harder as a coach to say this is how i run my team because they can talk to someone in Florida or in Texas or wherever and they can run their team and they want and the kids will want it to be run a different way and that's uh, edu- i think education changing uh, yeah. this is part of it yeah. yeah and 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 it's harder to shield right it's harder for like the, the the coach that wants to for example have a completely local team right um that uh, and I'm thinking about schools in LA here who only go to league tournaments. 
even they have to struggle. I mean, luckily I'm one who who doesn't have to deal with it as much because I'm not a coach like that, but I feel for coaches who are sort of the after-school English teacher coach sure. who doesn't debates not their life, they just do it because they think it's an important activity. Now they have the pressure of their kids going online and seeing there's this other world of debate, this yeah. national circuit world of debate, where we have to go to these tournaments that last three or four days, and we have to spend all this money and take all this time, and I need an assistant coach. It's much more, you know, there's a lot more ability for, and for the kids that are well-funded and have parents that will pay for that, that's great, but for the for the teams where those resources aren't necessarily always available, I think it's it's created a a, a uh, uh, this is a weird way of putting it for the people that are the local. It, it, I think it's created a it's made it, it's made almost a hierarchy where there doesn't necessarily have to be a hierarchy, right? I don't. Well, I, I, like- I agree with what you're saying for the teacher who is stretched, but on the other hand, I mean, this becomes a responsibility of like us. And I think we're actually leading this responsibility, which is to provide uh, all the levels of debating. I mean, we can control, I mean, John and I certainly control with a couple of other people what goes on in the Northeast and the the, the nature of the tournaments by having our kids go to them, making sure, sure there's something. Every, we have something every week for everybody. Mm-hmm. So from that angle, then it becomes the responsibility of the people who are in the activity to make sure that they're not just concentrating on their yes. own thing and this is going to be the circuit people and i mean we've seen this happen with policy policy is suicidal and they have you know committed themselves to an activity that they can only participate in if they spend a lot of money with the exception obviously the midwestern states that just do it locally but you know in but even there don't 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 act like they're not spending a lot of money there too they are even though it is but they don't have to get on a plane they don't have to get on a plane but but the amount but the research burden and stuff like that still is the research, actually, at least I'm I'm fine with them spending money on research. But around here, people oh, sure, have sure. money on airplane tickets because they have killed the activity locally by making it inaccessible, by eliminating tournaments that were not at the right level for them. I mean, I know this intimately because it happened to my tournament. One of the reasons sure. I don't have policy in my tournament is because people didn't want to come because it didn't have a bid. Well, one thing that I just want to say one thing related to that, and I don't know that this is really a change over the decade or whatnot, but but I think all – actually, all three of us, and this is not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think all three of us do a good job of making sure that uh, our teams are participating uh, at all different kinds of tournaments, right? Like not necessarily just tournaments that have bids to the TOC or whatever, right? Uh, I think that's very important. I think that if LD – uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm very far from a doomsday talker about anything in Lincoln Douglas debate. But one thing that I think is at risk is what Jib is talking about, and I think that it's important that uh, that kids who are listening to this recognize that even if they have you know aspirations of being the TOC champion and whatnot, the skills that you get to win the big tournaments are skills that you get by competing at lots of different kinds of tournaments. I think personally, I mean, I've always felt that way that that the so to really win the big tournaments, you need to be able to win over lots of kinds of judges, and that's why it's important. Uh, you know, for and there are many other reasons why it's important too. But that's that's that should be a motivating factor for competing at smaller tournaments as well as at big tournaments. Because if you don't have those smaller tournaments, the big tournaments are going to go away too. Right? I mean, those t- big tournaments aren't going to be able to sustain themselves eventually. Uh, and I, I think it's important that uh, 
that 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 teams be committed to competing at at many different kinds of tournaments. So that's just, just a, to, to take a step back. I mean, from what we've just been saying, but I have a feeling, and I wonder if you guys feel the same way, is that if anything, LD is really thriving nowadays. I feel the same way. I mean, I do too. I, I, I look at. I mean, I you know can look at like camp numbers have consistently gone up, and yeah. um, you know it's it's. Um, and I think that, you know, the number of people on LD, I think that there has been, I think that it's a two, it's a two edged sword, right? It's, you have the democratization where you no longer have to be from a program, right? With a national circuit coach or, you know, to, to be successful, especially mm-hmm. in Lincoln Douglas debate. I think there are a hundred kids that could break at any tournament this weekend, right? Yeah, um, I agree. It, it's a, it's a democratized activity and, um, with that though with that that lack of having coaches is also the 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 turnoff for the local coaches right because now you have kids trying to sign up for tournaments without a coach and right. it's a parent that that's maybe trying to sign them up or it's a kid themselves trying themselves up so you know we we you have it both ways and we have to try to find a way to to make that work to make it work so that the kid who happens to go to a school without a coach but loves debate is able to participate while at the same time there's some level of guidance to you you can't alienate the coaches or right. whoever in the activity too or those that come from teams you can't try to break up teams um, and those sorts of things i mean we seem to be okay around here we have some people that will travel alone i mean are the rule we and since it's the same people running all the tournaments, we essentially set up the rule: you can't come without an adult, and you can't come um, counter to what your school wants you right. to do. And so you establish these two things. So I don't have kids running around unchaperoned. And I know that if I called up their school, the school would not be surprised to hear that they're participating at a right. tournament. Those I mean, are the two requirements. I, I even in our team we go to tons of tournaments, but but we have uh, occasionally have kids go with their parents. I think that that's. Okay, but I think Beats' point is still well taken. Yeah, but there are, I would imagine, this class of, of, of like I said, teachers, the after-school kind of person who really isn't, can't commit. I mean, that's part of the problem with, this is a problem with the activity always been, where you have to make debate your life, and a lot of people might have something else to do on a weekend than, you know, debate all the time. And you know, even though they might want to do it, it's really, you know, it requires people that are in a certain kind of situation to be able to do that, to be able to work it. And, yeah, I think the activity is lucky that there's enough of us out there that are in that situation. But it's tough. I mean, how many activities require that you give up every weekend of the yeah. school year yeah, if I, you're a teacher? You know, and, and not to bring it down too much, but, I mean, with the with the deaths of Ross Smith and then this, this past mm-hmm. weekend, Scott Deathridge, it made me think those were young guys. Yeah. And it, it made me and with it and I don't know enough about them or their health history or anything like that to, to speak uh, authoritatively on it, but it, it made me think about what what are we doing to ourselves? What are we people that travel weekend after weekend, kill ourselves staying up all night, uh, waiting for planes, you know, all these things. I mean what I, what are we doing to to uh an entire group of debate coaches who have taken on this new we're going to travel 20 or 30 times a year um it's an odd life and it's not easy and, and it's not, and, and it can't don't be eat, healthy you don't eat well for one thing you don't sleep well. uh, 
I mean, I, I want to just, but you know, this is not to, to make light of something, but it, but uh, one of you know, Brock's has a very large team, so we have a number of assistant coaches. Uh, the, most of our staff is in New York, but Doug Jeffers lives in Texas, and he jokes around that that when he's talking about debate to friends of his who are outside debate, they can't quite understand what it is that he does as a job. It's like, okay, well, you know, my, my job involves me flying around the country to uh, to. To, to go to these cities to, you know, tell for a weekend. Well, it is, you know, it's very odd. It's very hard to explain that to people yeah. that's, that, that you're doing things like that. And then, then the other interesting thing is that uh, just today I got an email from uh, Sandra Berkowitz, who I love at Blake, right? And, and I guess somehow she got the impression that I, this was the first year that I had missed the Blake tournament in a while. I, I, I had to do because of a, you love a local that tournament. tournament. I do. I love Blake. So she emailed me and she said that, you know, I'm very concerned that you weren't at Blake. I, I heard that you're, uh, that you, you don't want to travel very far. I said, what? You know, just because, I, because I've missed a couple of, of the larger circuit tournaments, suddenly there's a the perception that I don't want to travel far, right? Uh, and I just thought that was so odd. And, and, maybe, you know, and maybe that also ties into this idea that there's an expectation that you would physically be at every, at every tournament. Because as I pointed out to her, and it actually ties into what Beats was saying before, in addition to the internet changing the way coaching works in terms of how you manage your team, it also changes the way coaching works because it's much easier to be in touch with your kids if they're far away, right? I just yeah. had the strangest thing. I'm, I'm going to interrupt here because Beach just sent me a message. How did yes, you do that? Message too. that? How did you do cool. that? You just click on the person and do an SMS. Or excuse me, not an SMS. You just double click on their name in Skype. And a little... Okay, we're going to keep this mysterious for the, Nothing... readers, or for the listeners. Beach, I, have... I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you too. I mean, but, I mean oh, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> I've got to learn how to do. It. I just clicked on it. Nothing happened. I got the. I get these little funny looking heads. Okay. And, instead uh, of instead of okay, if you just click on the person's name, I'm sorry yeah. to all the listeners. This is really fascinating to the listener. You, yeah. you have you don't have, mind there us. Are, there, are, there, are, there are there are three little buttons in gray, blue, and green. If you click on the blue one, that is the right. chat button. Oh, I don't have any of these. Oh, buttons. I see that. It just all click right. on Enough my name. And, okay. Anyway. Okay, I've got. To, I'll call someone else, but I. <laughs> Uh, the nature of the message for those who have stuck with us is Let's that wrap it up. to wrap it up, which is fine. This is good. I didn't think we would even get uh, yeah, no five way. seconds wow. of discussion, but I think we get started and we get discussion. I think we should continue good. with them. I think we'll continue. There, I think there's a lot more to say, and we'll yeah. just next week we'll take it up from here. Great. So okay. uh, to everybody, I hope I get this out before the uh new year new year's eve so if i don't if i do whichever happy new year to you guys happy new year to everybody listening and uh we'll get together again next week happy new year happy new year favorite part of the whole enterprise 10 9, nine eight, 8 7, seven 6, six five. 5 do you think we should keep a countdown in this one cuz it's the end of the year the end of the decade and it's like counting down to the All right let's year. count down that was all <laughs> ridiculous let's try this again 10 10, ten 9, nine eight, 8 7 6, six 5, five. Four, Four, three, three two, two, one. one. <laughs> Happy New Year! Okay. I think I think actually our our uh, Unity at eight was so amazing that it, 
we play that back later. I think eight was. It was just we were, by the time we got to one, we were actually worse. <laughs> no, I think we were on it at one. We were on it for a long time. So uh, we get we get slower every time. Well, I mean, because we are so bad at counting. Yeah. Well, I'm a trained I'm a trained musician. I can keep a beat. <laughs> <laughs>